Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you sent your Holy Spirit. Thank you that your Holy Spirit was poured out on this day, on Pentecost. Because this is the birth of the church. And we celebrate. And Jesus, you are right now seated at the right hand of the Father. And you are praying for us, interceding for each one of us. You say you're preparing a place for us. But right now, you want to make your manifold wisdom known to principalities and powers through the church. You're coming back for the church. You're coming back for a bride that is beautiful without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. So tonight, come. You've already worked in us, Lord, tonight, all from the prayer meeting, all the way through, Lord, into worship. You are busy preparing your bride. And we thank you for that, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Sure, what a privilege it is to minister on this day. I know every Sunday is special. But it's really, truly special for me, really having the Holy Spirit. This is the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, where what Jesus told his disciples, wait, go wait in Jerusalem, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. They did. They did already. I mean, there was a moment where Jesus walks through the, through the, through the walls, and he just appears to them. And you know, there's always that one guy, you know, like in surfing, we have the saying, you should have been there, you know, like Thomas wasn't there. He's that one guy that didn't attend church that day and he misses out. It's none of you, obviously. <laughs> you, yeah. And Jesus tells them, go and wait because you'll receive power to be my witnesses. And you know, that word is actually a very heavy word, witness. It's the same word in Greek for martyr. That's the word, martus. That's really the word for witness, which means, are you prepared to die for Jesus? It's the same call for elders that he it says it's a noble thing to desire the office of an elder. The nobility lies in this, not that we elders, but that we're prepared to die. That's when, they, that's when Paul called, when he spoke about elders. It's about dying, dying to the things that we sang about tonight. You, lift, you lifted higher, Jesus, than my family, than my kids, than my education, than everything, Lord, than my money. You lifted higher, God. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. I want to read. From verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, that moment, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, say suddenly. 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 Yes. There came from heaven a sound 
like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Then divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, he says, We cannot too often read the story of the wondrous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and let us never read it without asking the Lord to manifest in our midst the fullness of the Spirit's power. That's why I'm excited. Because you know what? I can ask the Holy Spirit the fullness. Not a half measure, not a junior-sized Holy Spirit, but the same power, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in your mortal body. That same power, the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. They didn't receive anything more special than us. They received the same Holy Spirit. And you and I can live naturally supernatural like that. And all the things that the Holy Spirit brought, the gifts that he brought, Jesus ascended and gave a gift. All the gifts, all the things that the Holy Spirit brought is ours. All of it. Do you believe it? You kind of look at me like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, I've not operated in some of them. I believe in my lifetime I can operate in all of them. Because I want to. I have a desire. I want to see the dead raised. I've prayed once for a dead person. Old pastor of mine that died in a car crash. Man, I was lying on, almost on top of his body, praying for him. And I was like, Lord, please raise him. I would have run if he got raised. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> Do you realize that? Yeah. If, if, you, if that person is like, that dead person comes to life, <laughs> hey, you're going to run, most probably. But I still believe. I still desire. Can you pray this prayer that Spurgeon prayed? He said this, Lord God, the Holy Ghost in this accepted hour, as on the day of Pentecost, descend in all thy power. The young, the old inspire with wisdom from above and give us hearts and tongues of fire to pray and praise and love. Can we pray that? And say, Lord, I want to love like you love. Because it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can love truly. Do you realize that the church wasn't there? There was the called out once. There was Israel. There was everything in the Old Testament. This is the day that what we are experiencing right now was birthed. It's God's plan. And he decided that he was going to use this ragtag bunch of people that was in the upper room to, to spread the gospel, to tell everybody. Because they're going to receive power to be witnesses, to have a new boldness to talk 
And all of a sudden, there's this man that always puts his foot into his mouth. His name is Peter. And he has to explain it to everybody. He's like, ah, guys, this is that that Joel prophesied. This is the stuff that we all read about. And it happened. Right now. It's nine o'clock in the morning. No one is drunk. It's the Holy Spirit. I want to say one thing by starting off and make this quite a bold statement. I want to say that we cannot expect a revival if there's no unity amongst Christians. I want to show you from this moment where, where they were all together in one place, in one accord, what it means to be in that place, waiting on the Holy Spirit. Look at this in chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these, sister 11, Matthias was also picked, then they became 12 again, remember? Judas didn't make it. All these with one accord. That's like on a perfect team. Jesus even lost one. So just be careful. What am I saying? Just be careful. All these with one accord were devoting themselves. You see that deep word? We see that same word later on. After the Holy Spirit was poured out, 3,000 people were cut to the heart. They got saved on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people. Tongues of fire. I mean, this is the reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. The confusion and all of a sudden, he's using the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. Where everything was changed, he's changing it again. They were all together in one accord. I want to preach about one accord. Not accordion. Not that thing. Accord. What is a chord? Accord. If you hear a chord spiel. Nah. Three notes. Is it? The basic. So, my jy het a klomp akkoorde wat saam gespeel moet word om my harmonie te vorm. Nah. Yes, so. And I can wear when it uh, when it's not when it's a discord. It's that uh, ding, you know. But it's a harmony. I want to say spiritful Christians are harmonious Christians. When there's harmony, when there is one accord, that's when we are spiritful. And the spirit will come. Uh, hear me out now. The Spirit will come and move amongst us if we're in one accord. One heart. And I want to show you quickly what it means. A devoting a one heart, one mind. We pick this up in chapter 2 as well. And we see, you can pop that up for me as well, just quickly. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Acts chapter 2, sorry. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pente, Pente means 50. Pent comes from Penta, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, after Passover happened, 50 days, exactly, arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, so it's that whole thing of an all together in one place. Let's unpack that quickly and what it means, 
What do I mean by it? Luke does not tell us the exact place. Now, I have read quite a few commentaries on where this could have been. Luke doesn't really tell us the place, but most people think it was probably the same room that was used, the upper room that was used when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper. Okay, with his disciples. Another reasonable consideration could be the temple because Luke records that after Jesus' ascension, they were continually in the temple praising God. So they were all together in the same room. That's really what it's all about. doesn't matter. Luke doesn't tell us where. Notice that as far as we can discern from Scripture, Jesus did not instruct them to all be together in one place. Never. He never told them. He said, just go and wait. He never told them, go wait all together. Okay? Amal van jylle moet amal saam die yiltid beweeg. He doesn't say that. He never says it once to them. And it's very significant. Most likely because on this day, so let me, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit. But Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem. So why are they all together in one place? Most likely because on this day, 50 days after the Passover, they were together to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. They were just together to celebrate a feast that all the Jews would normally this time of the year celebrate usually the end of may beginning of june and while these there were 120 also were physically all together even more importantly they were spiritually together they were of one heart one mind one purpose and they soon would be united forever in the spiritual body in that sense, which is the church. And they would also be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The question that you might even ask tonight is why they were all together in one place. What were they doing? Well, they were obeying. They were obeying the instruction of what Jesus said to them. Now, my friends, if there's one thing that I've learned as a Christian that strikes the heart of Jesus that he loves is these two things, faith and obedience. Because you know what? We gave that away in the Garden of Eden. We were disobedient and we lost faith. We gave those two things away. So if we wanna come back, we need to be obedient and we need to have faith. And they were obedient. And this is an amazing thing that David picks up on in Psalm 133. He says that how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell in unity. For there God commands a blessing, life forevermore. Right there, the unity is attractive to him. The one heart, the one accord is attractive to Jesus because they're just being obedient to what he has asked them to do. Actual fact, he instructed them to do. Let's read Acts chapter one, verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but 
to wait for the promise. The key is in waiting. That word there in, in, um, in Hebrew, the Hebrew translation of that word is kava, which means to be intertwined with another tree. Almost like a parasite plant. Like I don't know where I begin and end and stop nothing. I'm so intertwined with him. That's me waiting. Waiting is not a passivity. Waiting is active. Wait, this is not waiting. Oh, I'm waiting on the Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm waiting. You know that God only gives three answers, really? Yes, no, and wait. That's the hardest part is the waiting part. Because we always want to run ahead of ourselves. Wait upon the Lord. See, this is not a small point that they were obeying. It's actually a very, very big point. What is waiting in obedience for what the Father has promised implied? Or implied? And the obvious answer is that their waiting was a clear reflection of their trust in the word of God. They were trusting. They put their trust in the word of God. They believed that Jesus had said and what he had instructed them to do. They believed it and they received it. That's how we get born again. It's to believe and to receive what he said. And so they waited. Sometimes we run ahead of ourselves in our service, depending on our natural power, me. Sometimes we don't want to wait. Isaiah 40, 31, can we get that up? We actually sang it. I didn't tell you that I'm going to use this verse. But they who wait for the Lord, there's that word again, a kava, for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who is feeling weary right now? Who is feeling faint right now? You need to wait upon the Lord. You need to wait upon the Lord in obedience. You need to trust Him. You need to trust what he has said, that he is faithful to the things that he has promised in your life. Some of you have maybe waited 30, 40, 50 years. And you're worrying that my life is running out. I am not going to eventually fulfill the purpose of God. Keep on waiting. Jesus said, I'll be back soon. Keep waiting. He'll be right on time. That I can promise you, there's an hour, there's a time when Jesus is coming back. He'll be right on time. You see, the thing about waiting is we don't like it. It's difficult. Because it implies time and most of us are quickly gratified. Two-minute noodles. All the youth understand two-minute noodles. My kids understand two-minute noodles. You see, LaDonna understands noodles. Noodles understand LaDonna as well. 
We want everything now. We have credit cards. We just swipe them. Pay now, worry later. Thank you, Absa. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Look at this, what is written in Psalm 25. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. We've been waiting all the day long for Jesus. Well, they did. And there was a promise. The Holy Spirit was poured out on that day. They were all together. This word, all together, is quite interesting. It means of the same temperament or mind. That's a big one. Right now, are we of the same temperament in this place? And the same mind. That's big. That's like mind control stuff, man. It's like, whoa, spooky. You Christians, you just want to control everybody. Guys, I can't even control my wife. Why would I control you? That's a confession. <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> so the gap, man. It means to be of one mind, of unity of mind, with one purpose, unanimous consent. Listen, I can't even get unanimous consent in my car of four. Where shall we eat? McDonald's! Burger King! You know, it's like there's no consent. But in Jesus, this is what he's expecting us. Do you understand how deep this stuff is? Like to be in one accord, of one heart, one mind, one purpose. They were all together in that room. That's what it means. Yeah, the Greeks, they just make it difficult for us. No, that's what it means. When that word was used, in company, in union, in the same place, in the same time, in concert, that's what it means. Are we harmonious? And I'm not asking you to be uniformed. The Bible doesn't tell us to be uniformed. Uniformity is a little sausage machine. Chuk, 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 chuk. And all the Christians look the same. That would be boring, man. I look across this auditorium and I see so many different faces. Different giftings, different callings. In five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, church planters. That's what I see. It's not about, it's about unity. Unity. Webster says an agreement of a number of persons in opinion or determination. As there was perfect unanimity amongst the members of the council. That's what it means. Perfect. In one accord. Like I said, it's a musical term. Harmonious saints are spiritual saints. 
And then, suddenly, because of them waiting, because of them in one accord, because of them trusting for and waiting for the promise, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. Suddenly. And you can expect the Holy Spirit to work suddenly. When you have positioned yourself in this way, you can expect Him to move suddenly in your life. I've experienced the suddenness of Jesus. The suddenness. How He changes situations. Even tonight, He wants to change situations in this place. Suddenly. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. The people didn't feel the wind. They heard the sound. Some people say they reckon that it sounded like a tornado in this room. Imagine like this room is filled with the Holy Spirit right now. And they can hear us in Gretbrach, my brother. All of Jerusalem has probably heard this rumbling in this room. The noise, violent noise, the Bible calls it. And you know, the suddenness, without warning, caught these disciples by surprise. Even though there was an expectation in their hearts, even though they were expecting, but they didn't know when. Each one of us will be surprised when the Holy Spirit comes suddenly. The supernatural sound of a wind is interesting. Because they were already told, you know, that you can expect the Holy Spirit not in many days. They didn't know. You see, the source of this wind comes from heaven and since it was described as a noise and as violent it is possible that it was heard even outside of that room and that most probably drew more people to it one important aspect of the coming of the holy spirit is this suddenness of the holy spirit the sudden arrival Suddenly, immediately. The interesting thing about the wind is they didn't feel it, they heard it. And the wonderful thing about wind, the same word that is used for wind is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. The same word. The one is ruach in the Old Testament and pneuma in the New Testament, but they're interchangeable. Wind and Holy Spirit is interchangeable for those two words. And I want to draw your attention, maybe, this as we create, as something new is created, as the church is created, what happened in Genesis. Let's quickly look. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. There was no church. There was no church. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit, the pneuma, the ruach, the spirit of God was hovering over the face. This is, this is creation. Now he's creating the church. 
It's the birth of the church. Through him. That's why wind is kind of very significant in this being used here. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed. That's his breath. That word is also sometimes used as ruach, but neshama is another word for it. The breath into his nostrils and breath, the breath of life, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God created. Now the Holy Spirit is moving in this place, and the church is birthed on Pentecost. It's beautiful. See, Pentecost is a life-breathing experience. In John chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. You must not marvel what I say to you. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, what must I do? He says, no, you must be born again. You must be born again. And I want to say to you, even tonight, maybe you're sitting here. You've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. Tonight's your night where you can be born again. The wind blows. This is the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. They heard the sound of the Holy Spirit. The rushing wind that's happening and then they were filled. You hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I want to bring it right back to us. Maybe you're sitting here. You're not born again. Because that's what Jesus says. What does it mean? He says, what does it mean? He says, well, you need to be born from above. You can't go back into your mother's womb. Since you've got to be born from above. You're a new creation. You're brand new. You're not a better version of your old self. You're not a, more, a smarter sinner. You're a new creation. In actual fact, he promises this in the Old Testament. He says, the heart of stone that was in you, he's going to remove that and give you a heart of flesh. This is... What God wants to do for you individually. But he wants to pour out his spirit corporately. And I believe tonight even he wants to fill us. To a greater measure. But you can only fill to the extent that you've emptied yourself. That, that word that is used, the filled, is two words. It's the verb, pleru or peplimi. But pleru means to almost be like a sponge that you that is totally dry and totally wrung out. And you push it into water and it starts sucking up all the water. That's what it means to be filled fully, to full capacity, to overflowing. I want to say to you, the filling is not for you. The filling is for the people around you. It's for the people dying there. It's for the lost. God woke me up a while back. I, I forgot this. I, I, I told Steve about this. He woke me up a while back. So there's 2.2 billion Christians in the world. How many people die per day in the world? 170,000 dies. Million. 170 million. 
is it? Is it what I said? I can't remember. So, if a quarter are Christians, can you see the sum I'm doing? If a quarter are Christians, where's three quarters going? This is not a heavy, guys. But we've got work to do. The harvest is ripe and the workers are few. If a quarter of this planet are born again Christians, and today, all those people that are dying, you can, you can actually literally Google it. How many people died today? It will tell you. Hey, are you Googling? Are you? Thanks. Fact checker. Thank you. My, my, my point is, you receive the Holy Spirit to be a witness of what Jesus has done. You receive the breath of life. You are not born again just to be on your, on your glory road to heaven. You are here because Jesus saw it fit that you are born again to go tell the world. He says, go and be my disciples. Make disciples of all nations. And he says, start with, with, with your local. And then he says, go to the ends of the earth. But starts with the, start with the local. I want to endure this and I want to read this quickly to you. Something that A.W. Tozer said. If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of the world, much of what we're doing in our churches would go right on and nobody would know the difference. I do not believe in a repetition of Pentecost, but I do believe in a perpetuation of Pentecost. We need to continue with Pentecost. And then Francis Chan said this, he says, God put the Spirit in us so we could be known for our power. Sadly, most believers and churches are known for talent and intellect rather than supernatural power. What's worse is that we're okay with it. I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America, across the world, across South Africa, who cannot confidently say that they have experienced the Holy Spirit's presence or action in their lives over the past year. And many of them do not believe they can. Do you believe you can experience the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? That same power that was poured out. That same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Do you believe? Because then you need multiple fillings. You don't buy a car and have one tank of petrol and think you're going to drive the whole way with it. You've got to top up. You've got to top up.